in the time of the church, it is not necessarily considering the holiness of God. And in the lives of the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people, as they would gather together, their focus would, would be, especially with their children, weaning their children, beginning to teach them in the Bible. They'd start in Leviticus and teach them about the holiness of God. The holiness of God is what drives us, compels us, in a relationship with him to understand that we come to God on his terms, not ours. We, we don't come to the Lord based on what we think of God, how we think God ought to work, you know, hey, this is the God I serve. No, God tells us who he is. God tells us what he desires. God tells us what he uh, expects of us. And as we look at that, as we see that, that expectation that God has, that desire that God has uh, to be involved in a part of our lives, it ought to bring us to, to, one, realize we come to Him on God's terms, and secondly, as we come to the Lord, as we seek Him, that God desires a relationship with us. That's the point of Leviticus. I want a relationship with you. Here's how you can have it. We come to the Lord on the basis in the book of Leviticus... We come to the Lord on the basis of sacrifice. How do you and I come to the Lord today? On the basis of sacrifice. The sacrifice may not be a lamb or firstling that we offer. It is the lamb that God gave and the firstling that he offered in his son. And we come to him realizing God wants to, to have a relationship with me, but he wants me to realize that relationship has been severed because of sin in my life. And that God requires that sin is dealt with. And he does that so that you and I will learn, so that you and I will understand, hey, I need to deal with the sin in my life. I, I can't just pretend it's not there. I can't just pretend, well, it's, it's a minor, it's a little thing. There was no little sin. There is no small little thing that, that doesn't affect our relationship with God. I know as a father, I didn't always portray that as well as I could have to my sons. That there's no such thing as a little thing. Well, that's, it's just not a big deal. It's okay. Because it taught them something different than what the book of Leviticus teaches us. When... Every time a, 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 a firstling was born and, or when the time of sacrifice came and they were offering that sacrifice for their children, when their children would place their hands on that lamb and the father would confess their sins as a family and they'd cut the throat of that lamb and see the price of those little sins, it changed the way you looked at it. Now it was not, well, it's just a little lie. It was the attitude that that lie cost something. That's important for us to realize. It changes our attitude when we realize in our lives, all of us, myself included, there are things in my life, when you, when you look at the Scripture and the Scripture calls to us to cast aside 
every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run the race with endurance that is laid out before us. When we consider that, then we begin to realize, wow, there's all these things I still allow to be a part of my life that hinder me from where I could be with the Lord. And are they really that important? There was a time God very specifically uh, called Kathy and I to reconsider uh, our music. And the kind of music that I listened to was pretty rowdy, so I don't know that anybody is listening to what I was listening to. But I, I still was going to Bible college, doing all those things, but I was listening to this other stuff. And I said... Well, it's, it's not a big deal. It's a little thing. You know, I know what the music portrays and it's not going to pull me down. And one day driving down the road, I'm listening uh, to this music and I hear my three-year-old sing the words in the back seat and everything changed. Whoa. I'm providing an example And the footprints I'm laying out are the ones my children are going to walk through. Now, my kids still, our children still have to make their choices. Our children are still going to be drawn by the the enticement of the world. Satan's good at what he does. You know that, right? If he wasn't good at what he does, everybody would ignore him. It would be a piece of cake. He's good at what he does. And our children are still going to be drawn to those things. They're still going to struggle in that. And they still, each one of our children, are going to have to make the choice for themselves. There's no grandkids in the kingdom of God. They must choose to serve the Lord, to give God their heart in worship. And when they do, you know, they'll make that decision for them. But you see, what God's calling us to throughout the book of Leviticus is to live the example before them. Make a choice a little bit more for them to be able to understand it better. The kids growing up then in the sacrificial system, they really understood the darkness of sin. Our kids today, they don't they don't see that. They don't say they, they hear stories of Jesus. Maybe they see a video or or they see a film like The Passion, and it kind of begins to bring a little bit of that reality out, but but they don't live that reality day in, day out, right? So when we study the book of Leviticus, we need to realize that's the call God's given us. Not that we go to a sacrificial system. He's calling us that as we look, as we see these things that are taking place, that we would place value on the holiness of God. And that we wouldn't be afraid to teach our kids and ourselves about the holiness of God. What God requires. And then in chapter 27, realizing that as we understand the holiness of God, as we understand the beauty of God, as we understand what God's done for us and what God continues to desire to do for us, it compels us to worship. And that's what chapter 27 is. Well, you, you may never have thought of worship this way, but hopefully you'll see it as we look at chapter 27. Chapter 27 is all about making vows to God. Pretty much everything up to this point is dealing with obligatory uh, uh, sacrifices, things that they had to do, things that they were required to do. But chapter 27 is, these are the things, if you want to do them, do them. If you don't, don't. 
And the more of a relationship we develop with the Lord, the more worship comes through that. We kind of talked about it or, or showed a video on it on Sunday morning. The idea is that worship is not something I receive. Worship is something I give. It's something I give to the Lord. It's a response for understanding the holiness of God and what God's done for me. And my response is to give worship. And so as we look at chapter 27, this is the eyes we want to see chapter 27 through. If you turn quick, quickly with me before we uh, uh, get too far into it, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you don't want to turn, it's okay. I'll read it to you, I promise. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Here's what he lays out for us. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In the King James it says, do not make a hasty vow you ever make god a promise scripture says if we make god a promise we keep our vows when the scripture talked about vows maybe you remember as we went through the book of leviticus over and over again it would it would refer to the offerings the sacrifices the things given to god as vows and the lord wants us to keep our vows keep our sacrifices keep our offerings fulfill those things that we lay out before the lord those things that we uh we trust him for in fact in deuteronomy chapter 23 uh which we'll be getting to sooner or later deuteronomy chapter 23 beginning at verse 21 he describes to us what these vows are and as we look at this consider this in the light of worship Deuteronomy 23, 21. Now when you make your vow to the Lord your God, you will not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it's not sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you will keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. You have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God that which you have promised with your mouth. Now, in considering that, just pause and think about some of the praise even tonight that we offer up to the Lord. The things we sing to God. Maybe in some of the old hymns we remember or, or the things that we cry out, you know, when we tell the Lord... I want to be more like you. Are we making a vow? Is it just words? Is it just something we do to feel good? Or do we mean what we vow? Do we mean what we say? We need to realize in our worship it's more than it's just a moment where we sing songs. I remember when I was a kid, I'd come to church, and I knew church started, and I could almost guess which hymn we'd start with. You know, page. Please turn to page one fifty one, and 
And we'll sing this song. We'd sing the song, but it was just a song. Well, the words were beautiful, and what it meant was incredible, but I never grasped the importance of the vows. Who am I singing that song to? And realizing that, that God wants us to pay our vow. God wants us not to come to Him and worship and just sing words, but to mean what the words are saying. And, and to hold on to those things and to recognize in our worship, the Scripture lays out for us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So that, that attitude, that it's, it's more than that. And, and in Ecclesiastes, Solomon would say, listen, don't make rash vows. Think about what you're offering to the Lord. Think about what you're what you're sharing and that is it is kind of the attitude of leviticus chapter 27 hey think about it here's what the vows were about for them but keep in mind leviticus wasn't given just to them and and has no bearing on you and i leviticus the word of god is living and powerful every word god breathed every word for them may have a direct context to them but for you and i there's something that god wants us to receive that god wants us to understand that god wants us to hold on to so as we take a look in chapter 27 verse 1 now the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel and say to them when a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the lord according to your valuation if your valuation is made of a male 20 years up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Huh? Well, Jackie, you're just talking about worship. And now I don't understand how, how this goes across. Here, this is what they did. They would make a vow to the Lord. They'd be so overwhelmed by the beauty of God, by the majesty, by His holiness, by what He had done for them and forgiving their sins, that they would say, God, I am going to dedicate my life to You. I'm going to dedicate myself to You. And so the priest would put a value on that. He would say, okay, if the person is between this range of age, and we're this far from the year of Jubilee, so there's this much time in this vow that this vow is taken, then the work of his life has a value, and the man would redeem that value with silver. Folks, silver throughout the Scripture speaks of redemption. The, the tabernacle was not stuck in the earth. What was it stuck in? Silver. Because what did the whole work speak of? God's redemption of men. God's redemption. So silver was the price. And a shekel roughly would be a month's wage. So when you made these vows to the Lord, do you understand the value it had? It wasn't just words. Were they required to make vows? No, we read in, in Deuteronomy, right? If you don't want to make a vow, it's okay. It's not sin. If you make a vow and don't keep it, that's a problem. 
But you don't have to make a vow. But it was their reaction. They would, but they, when they spoke the words, when they made the vow, when they said, perhaps they, they gave one of their children in service. Perhaps they, they made a vow. But you see, remember, Ecclesiastes said not to make what kind? A rash vow, hasty word. We read about that in the book of Judges, right? In the, in the book of Judges, we come across this fella, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, I don't know how to say it. I'd have to look at it in front of me, but you get the idea. He says, he's going to battle, and he says to the Lord, God, I, I don't think I'm going to make it, and I don't think we'll have the victory, but if we have the victory, whatever comes out of my house first, I'm going to give to you, I'm going to give to you as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. Well, he went off to battle, and God gave him victory. And as he was coming home, his little daughter is sitting in the house, looking out the window, waiting. His dad coming, his dad coming, and she sees dad coming from a ways off. And she runs, grabs the timbrels, and she runs with her tambourines out the door, just singing and praises, so excited to see her father. She was the first thing through the door when he returned. What should have been happy for the dad was sad. Why? He made a hasty vow. Now, the scriptures tell us that she asked her father for two months that she could mourn her virginity. And then the Bible says that the father kept his vow. Doesn't tell us what that means. Depends on who you read and what commentaries you look at. We know that a human burnt offering sacrifice was an abomination to the Lord. So most people don't believe that's what occurred. She probably was given in service for the rest of her life to the, to the priesthood, to the tabernacle, and served there. Never married, never had any children. The point is, don't make a hasty vow that you aren't going to have to keep because God expects you to keep the vows you give. The whole book of Leviticus teaches us to value everything. To don't look at something as that it's just, it's just a little thing. What's the big deal? You know, then it becomes normal, not sacred, not holy. And if it's not holy, we don't put value to it. It becomes common. In the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us to count the blood of Jesus Christ as a holy thing. To not see the blood of Jesus as common. Why? Because a man who views the blood of Jesus as common will tramp the blood of Jesus underfoot. It's just a stain on the ground. What's the big deal? The book of Leviticus teaches us it has value. Your vows have value. And remember, the point as we look at these, we'll read these kind of quickly, but as we look at these vows that are given, see the vow. It's not about this person's worth more than that person. They're all worth the same. We'll see that as we continue to go through, but it's based on what kind of work they could do and for how long they could work. That's how the price was given by the priest. Look, he goes on and says, uh, if, if it is uh, female, then your valuation will be 30 shekels. Verse 4. Uh, and if it was, if from five years up to 20 years, then your valuation for a male will be 20, for a female 10. If it is 
from a month old up to five years old. Then your valuation for a male will be five shekels of silver. For a female, uh, your valuation will be three. If it is 60 years old and above, if it is a male, your valuation will be 15 shekels. For a female, 10. So basically, this is the way the vows were given. You would vow a servant, a child, in dedication to the Lord. And when you made that dedication to the Lord, you would pay in silver to redeem them back to you. Now, you could give them in service and they could spend that time in service. Or you could make the vow and redeem them back. And so rather than the person going in service, the shekels of silver went. Shekels of silver ought to strike a chord, right? Uh, seems like Jesus was sold for what? 30 pieces. Well, he was definitely between 20 and 60. The price should have been more. But the price was 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. We'll see the value in that in a, in a, in a little while as we continue on. But listen, in verse 8, Let's say you're poor and you couldn't afford to pay any of that stuff. I mean, you want to make a vow. You want to give God something. You're saying, I want to give the Lord something, but, but I, I can't afford to, the price to give one of my children or a servant. Or, but I want to give God something. Listen, it, in verse 9, he tells us, or I'm sorry, in verse 8, but if he is too poor to pay your valuation then he will present himself before the priest and the priest will set a value for him according to his ability who vowed the priest will value him in other words the value was made according to what he was able to pay so anyone could make a vow there was this basic price set but if you were poor and you came to the lord and said i want to do something for god i want to give the lord something but I couldn't afford the basic concept behind the vows. I could come to the, to the priest and the priest would set it according to what I could afford. So that I could give. So that there was something that I could give to the Lord. But when we look at giving to the Lord, we know there's a lot of ways to give to the Lord, right? We give the Lord our time. We can give the Lord from our, our finances, we can give the Lord the praise of our lips and worship. There's a lot of things that we can give to the Lord. But the point is the heart behind why you give it more than what you give. I mean, didn't Jesus teach us that with a widow and her two mites? The widow came, and all these guys were dumping all this money in these horns. You know how that worked, right? There was this big horn that had a a coil that went around in them so that the when you poured your offering in at the temple it would go clangity 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 clang all the way down this tube into the and people would look oh wow that guy he gave a lot when that widow went by it didn't sound like much have you ever seen a mite by the way there are a lot of widows mites in in israel they are the tiniest lightest smaller and lighter than a penny. And you drop that in that horn, it's barely going to make any sound at all. And nobody would have thought twice about, about her vow. Except for Jesus, right? Because he was watching what? How they gave. How they gave. And she gave 
out of her need from the abundance of her heart for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. She gave because she wanted to give. She didn't give from necessity. She didn't give because she thought she had to. She gave because she was so overwhelmed with the majesty and holiness and beauty of God that she wanted to do something. So she gave what she gave. And Jesus, for all eternity, proclaimed the beauty of her gift. Here we are, thousands of years later still, reading in the scripture of the widow who gave so much. So that's what he's laying out here. When we talk about the vows, when you make a vow, you say, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. God, I'm so overwhelmed by what you've done for me. I want to do something. For for you and I, we don't give a, a... a person to the to the church but there's lots of opportunity to serve in there a few weeks ago we made an announcement on sunday morning that we needed 25 people to do vbs six people signed up god's a good god isn't he isn't he beautiful isn't his majesty incredible so we don't Offer ourselves because of necessity. Otherwise, we might as well stay home, right? And it doesn't make any point for, for me to guilt someone into it or, or to prod somebody into it because I'd be better off if they didn't come, if that's why they're coming. But isn't that a way we can make a vow to God? That we can say, hey, Lord, here I am. I don't, I don't have much, but, but I can serve snacks or, or I could help with crafts or, or I could get kids to stand in a line and walk from A to B or I can watch them when they go on the playground that we're going to put up here in a couple of days or whatever, all those things. I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I want you, as we look at this and we see these vows, not to see things that don't apply to us, that, that, that don't speak to us, but realize they're not required, but there are opportunities that we can take there's opportunities to make a vow to god and say here is my manservant my maidservant here i am in service to the lord now in verse 9 he says now if it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the lord all that anyone gives to the lord shall be holy okay this is not, I'm not talking about the regular sacrifice. I'm talking about a voluntary vow. Someone could say, you know, I've made my regular sacrifices. I've, I've done that. We'll talk about that in a moment as we go through what the tithe was for them and, and, and what that meant. But listen, th- this was above and beyond. And God says, whatever you give me, it's holy. If it's a three-legged lamb with cross-eyed, God said, if you give it to me, whatever you give, it's holy. But he's going to make some stipulations in it. And those stipulations are, this is a a free will offering that you're giving to me. It can't be what I already own. Which one did he already own? The firstborn. That's already mine. So you can't give that to me. But anything else, anything else that you want to give, listen, if 
It is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord. All that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. Now listen, we know that God's word calls them not to bring their junk to the Lord. So the point is that you still want to be giving the Lord an offering that meets the specifications otherwise laid out for us in the book of Leviticus. But the other side of that point is it could have been anything that you gave of a willing heart. God will receive, and it's holy unto him. Verse 10, And he shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. If he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchange will be holy. Seems like the high priest Annas and Caiaphas must not have spent much time reading the book of Leviticus. Because, you know, when we come to the time of Christ, uh, Jesus chased somebody out from around the temple. You remember who it was? Money changers. What were they doing? Changing money, and what else? Exchanging sacrifice. This is how it worked. You bring your lamb in for sacrifice, the best you had to give. But the priest would examine it and say, oh, I'm sorry, this lamb's not good enough. You have to exchange this one for one that's already been approved. Oh, okay, but it's not straight across trade. So you're going to have to pay a little bit extra. Oh, okay, but you can't use the coin with Caesar on it. You have to change your money first. You ever gone to another country and exchange money? They ever work out real good? Listen, nobody gives you the, the rate you read about. You look and say, this is what it is a dollar, this is how many pesos. That's not what they give you. They never make any money. So they take a little bit off the top, right? They give you a little bit less so that they make money from exchanging. That's what they were doing. And right here it says, you, if you exchange, both of them are mine. That's what God said. If you try to exchange, if somebody's trying to rip somebody else off, or, or you're trying to exchange things, it's all, it's, they're both holy. They're both holy now. So you offer them both. Listen, God wanted to, to cover those bases, that attitude in giving, to exchange, to say, oh, no, I don't really want to give this one, or I'd rather give that one. And we'll see in a moment how they would tithe. Folks, they would give an offering of the firstborn. They would tithe. That means they would have the animals pass under the rod. And every tenth one was the Lord's. No matter what it looked like, no matter whether it was the best you had or the worst. Why would God, why would God be willing to take that? Because listen, if God required the best, every tenth, the best of, uh, to be given in, in sacrifice or to be given to the tribe of Levi as a tithe to them, your flock pretty soon would be just made up of sickly ones, wouldn't it? So the Lord said, every tenth, whatever it is. Whatever one pass under the rod, we'll see that in a moment. No exchange. You give it to me. You give those to me. So in their giving, and again, were they required to do to the, the tithe? They were, but, but this offering, you're not required. But if you bring, whatever you bring to the Lord, you bring. And that becomes holy unto him. No exchanges. In verse 11, if it's an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord... 
then he will present the animal before the priest. So you can say, hey, I'm going to make a vow, and you can use my uh, mule. That's just like coming to the church and saying, hey, we're doing dump day, and you can use my truck. And we fill up the truck with stuff, and they take it to the dump. And later on, the guy takes it back. Well, in this case, it was a mule. They'd give the mule in service to the church, to the, to the sanctuary, to the tabernacle, and the priest would utilize that. But listen, if it was an animal that was not used as a sacrifice, then the priest would put a redemption value on it. So it would be given, and then it could be redeemed. It was given, and then it could be redeemed, again, with a price of silver. So he lays out for us. If it's an unclean animal, they'll present the animal before the priest. And the priest will set a value for it, whether it's good or bad. As you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. So if you gave something to the Lord, and later on you said, you know, I'd really like to have that truck back. Then you go back and you paid 20% on top of whatever he valued it, and that was the price of redemption. Not a problem. Nobody's mad. Nobody's upset. But that's, that was the price of redemption. What did it teach? It taught that there is value to what you give the Lord. That God places value on your vows, your promises, the things you give in service. I mean, even if it's an unclean animal that all they do is stack a wood on it to, to bring it in to burn. Yeah, even that has value to God. In fact, after you gave it to God, its value increased 20%. Because now it's in the service of the Lord. You see, what it taught their children, what it teaches us is, there's value to all that. There's value to, to coming to bread of life and doing dishes. You might say, oh, uh, you know, it's just a little thing. Not to God. Not to God. It has value. It really matters to Him. Well, I come and clean the bathroom and that doesn't matter. Well, sure it does. Sure it does. It's all part of an attitude that springs out of our heart of worship. Worship's not just a song we sing, right? Worship is the life we live. Worship is, is what we give to the church. What we do with, with what Jesus has given us, that's our worship, right? There's a picture in Europe, Jesus on the cross, uh, on a wall of a church. It has a plaque underneath it. And the, and the plaque underneath the painting of Jesus on the cross says, this is what I've done for you. What will you do for me? And that picture, over the hundreds or thousands of years it's hung, has inspired different people to consider what Jesus has done for me and to say, here's my vow. Well, we probably all know people who've made a vow, don't we, that, to be a missionary or to do a, a short-term mission, to make a vow to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to give myself in service to you in a short-term mission. Rebecca Papik is, is getting ready to go to India. We're going to pray for her this Sunday. She's going to do a a short-term mission trip there. She's worshiping, right? 
In a, in a little while, Susie Jones is going to be going to Mexico in a, in a few weeks, doing the same thing, short-term mission trip, because she's made a vow. Worship. Worship isn't just the songs we sing. It's the things we do. It's the vows we make to God. The promises that we lay out before Him. In verse 16 it says, Now if a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation will be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed will be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So basically, if you said, you know what? I want to give, I want to do something for the Lord. I'm going to give this plot of land. Now, we know that that plot of land, well, we'll read about it a little more, but the value that will be set on that plot of land in case the man wanted to redeem it back again was based on what grew on it. How much land was available for growing, what grew on it, and how much time from now to the year of Jubilee, right? Because when we get to the year of Jubilee, we see things reverting back in most cases, reverting back to the family. So all that will be what the value will be based on. Now, if he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it will stand. So, let's say the land was worth, let's say it was valued at $50,000, but you're 25 years to the year of Jubilee, now it's worth $25,000. And then based on whatever, so the time left that the land could be used before it reverts automatically back to the family's name, was considered in the value. But let's say in a couple of years, I decide I needed that land back, then there was value to what I gave. There was value to the offering. So I understood making my vow before the Lord that the value of it. You see, you see what I'm saying when I say I think we kind of lose that sometimes. But if I kept track of all the promises I got made to God that were empty... You know, how many times I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll... Probably a few of us made a few of those. But to teach the value behind our worship, behind our service, behind what we give, that God values that. That, that God literally, for them, placed a, a money value so that they understood, man... This is worth something to God. Has value to Him. He goes on and tells us now, but if He dedicates uh, His field after the Jubilee, then the, then the priest shall reckon to Him the money due according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and it will be a deduction from your valuation. So that's just basing the value on when the land went back at the year of Jubilee to the family. Now, if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money to your valuation, and it will belong to him. So, whatever was given had this value raised 20% the moment it hit God's hands. You didn't have to give it, but what did it mean? It meant that I thought about what I was giving. That I understood the purpose behind it, that I didn't just flippantly say, whatever comes out of my door next, I'm going to give to the Lord. But that you would realize, when you make those promises, when we say those things to the Lord, there's value to it. It matters to Him. You see, the, 
The songs we sing in worship, God's not just sitting there thinking, oh, that's got a pretty catchy you know, rhythm to it, and, and wow, you know, the guitar sounds great, and the voices are incredible, and oh, kind of a catchy tune, you know. No. It has value to him. When we think about that, does that change our attitude in worship? I mean, when we sing songs like the heart of worship, where we, as a people, have think, oh, wow, you know, I haven't put the value to it to realize that even though we're singing as a congregation and we're giving praises to the Lord, really, you're singing in an audience of one before Jesus Christ. That's the way he sees it. And when we add that value, doesn't it change the way we look at things? Doesn't it change my attitude? You know, in, in, in regard to that, or, or what about forgiving? In, in the New Testament, when we give our offering to the Lord, that's a vow, isn't it? We, give our, we pay our tithes and, and our offerings. How is it that the New Testament says that not to give it grudgingly or of necessity, but that the Lord loves how? Cheerful giver. So that gift, whatever it is, if it's a penny, does it have value to God? Oh man, it, it matters so much to Him. Because God's broken, He can't make it? No, it speaks to our heart. For where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be also. What does Jesus want our heart to be set to? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? All these things will be added unto you. I'll take care of all that stuff. Seek me first. And so, understanding the value of the gift given, the value of the word sung, of, of, of the service that was rendered, who, when we come and we serve at the church, whether you come to clean or work in the kitchen or to teach Sunday school, we're not offering that service for the kitchen or for the, the church or for the children. We're giving that as a vow to the Lord. And it has value to Him. It matters to Him. Do you have to do it? No. You don't have to. But God wants you to know the moment that you do, it mattered to him. Because in terms of redemption, he added 20% to it. It matters to the Lord. That's what he's saying. It matters to me. It makes a difference to me. Well, as he continues on, he says now, but if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man it shall not be redeemed anymore so you could give your land totally and it never would revert back in the year of jubilee you're able to do that did you have to do it no you're able to and it would become then a land that the that the tribe of levi would work and it and it would always be a part of the tabernacle from that point forward you could also give land that didn't that you didn't own for example, remember we talked about it before? If someone was in debt, they could lease their land to you. You never really sold anything 
in Israel, but you could lease the land to someone else. So if I paid your debt and I took your land and it was leased to me, I don't own it, so I can't give it forever, but I can give it until the year of Jubilee. And it could be used in that way. So, uh, but if the field, when it was released in the Jubilee, it shall be holy unto the Lord as a devoted field, it shall be the possession of the priests. Okay, that's if I own it and I'm giving it to and I don't want to redeem it, it becomes their possession. <clears throat> then the priest then the priest shall reckon uh, to him the worth of the valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he will give that valuation on the day as a holy offering unto the Lord. <clears throat> now, in the year of Jubilee, the field will return to him from whom it was bought, to the one who owned the land as a possession. See, that's what I'm talking about. If... I gave it or someone, I bought it or leased it from someone in debt. At the year of Jubilee, it went back to the owner. If I was the owner, I could give it forever. If I didn't want to redeem it. Or I could redeem it. as a valuation set by the priest based on what could be grown on the land and time uh, from or to the year of Jubilee. Now all your valuations will be according to the shekel of the sanctuary 20 geras to the shekel. So basically what that's laying out is when it talks about a shekel of silver, it's a month's wage. So if you're giving 60 shekels, well, that just changed value, right? You see what I'm saying? When, it, when by God putting a price on it, it wasn't God trying to rip off the people. It's the Lord letting the people know the value of what they're giving. What you gave had value. 30 months salary. Can you think about what that equals to today? So when the Lord said, when you give yourself in service to the, to the body, it had a value of 30 months wages. You think about what that, how, what that meant to the Lord. It was so that man could look at it and say, wow, I guess it does matter to God. I guess what I give, it's not something that God doesn't consider, that God doesn't see. He, he does. And He understands. And it's not about you and me. It's about you and me to Him. I remember when I was first getting involved at the, at the church at, at JS, I remember hearing stories from one of the fellows there. He'd stay late. Sometimes there would be these contests. You know, if you're on staff there, you wanted to prove that you were the most valuable person on staff. See, you still have the same arguments that the disciples had about who was the greatest around Jesus. You just, you just sanctify it, and it sounds better. But, you know, we, we'd have these contests. Who stayed the longest? Who stayed the latest? Who, who was still working? And, and so you'd be out, you know, 9 o'clock at night. Nobody's at the church. Pastor Gerald is back in his office working. And you got that mop, and you're mopping the foyer and cleaning it up. But you're thinking, any minute Pastor Gerald's going to walk, walk out, he's going to see me here still. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever I was doing there just went out the window. I forgot the value of what I was doing to the Lord. And instead, the value was all about what man saw of it. And Jesus said, if what you're doing, you're doing for men, the praise of men, you have your reward. That's all, that's all it was worth then. 
God wants us to recognize the value of those things. I remember thinking when I first came and, and I was serving at JS, Kathy and I were doing the two and three-year-olds. First day of, of teaching two and three-year-olds, we got this brilliant idea. Kathy's pretty smart, so I, I would have never thought of it. But she had this long string with all these knots tied on it. So we, when we left from that room to go to worship, the kids would all grab a hold of this rope. And we, we figured you could never lose anybody that way. And whenever kids were dropped off, they all were signed in. So you'd go down your sign-in sheet, count how many kids you had, and then make sure you had that many at the end. And as long as you had as many as you had in the beginning at the end, everything's good, right? You know, we never really accounted for mom signing in her two kids on one line. That could be bad. Oh, we counted, and we should have 19 kids. How many we got? 19 kids. Cool, let's go. Mom had two children on one line. That Man, I really had 20 kids. And I should have been uh, realizing there's a problem. You never want to lose one of mom's kids on the first day working with twos and threes. But we go to worship. And, we, and we're in worship for maybe 10 minutes, you know, and then after worship, we come right back to the room. We open up the door in the room, and there in the corner is this little blonde girl bawling. <laughs> How did that happen? Babe, I counted. Kathy's like, you didn't count, right? <laughs> so went over, <laughs> went over and... That little girl last on to me. She didn't let go of me the rest of the time. She goes, I don't like you very much right now, but wherever you go, I'm going. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the end of the day, but what a disaster. Maybe we shouldn't be involved. I mean, any, all the, a million things could have happened. None of them good. Uh, uh, you know... Whatever I just did was a waste of time. But when I read Leviticus 27, I realize it had value to God. It wasn't perfect. None of us are. But it taught me <laughs> to read each name <laughs> and see if more than one of them was on a line. I never did that again. But it, as I look at the Scriptures, God wants us to realize that that matters to him a great deal. And maybe it teaches us, you know, our ability to outgive God is we're always going to fall short because whatever I think I'm giving to him, I'm going to realize, well, it wasn't all that great. But to the Lord, it matters. It matters to him. God loves it when we give and as we give. Now, in verse 24, in the year of Jubilee, the field, I'm sorry, verse 25, and all your valuations will be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, one month's wage, 20 garrets to the shekel. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man will dedicate. Whether it's an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord's. You can't give to God what is already His. That's not an offering. That's just giving what's His in the first place. That was a, a shocking revelation. Because when people would ask, you know, 
you can start to be uh, self-righteous and holy when you say, I tithe. Then you read Leviticus 27. So, you're just giving God what's already His. I mean, that's the concept. So, understanding, hey, this is what belongs to me already. So don't, don't dedicate that to me. Do you have to give anything else? No, free, right? If you want to make a vow, make a vow. If you don't, don't. But if you're doing what already belonged to God, these are the things that were exempt from being a vow to the Lord, what was already His. The, the, in this case, the firstborn already belonged to the Lord. That's already His, so, so, so you don't give that. <clears throat> and if it is an unclean animal... Now that will be redeemed according to your valuation and shall add one-fifth to it. Uh, or if not redeemed, then it will be sold according to your valuation. So even an unclean animal would go to the temple or to the tabernacle. If you wanted that unclean animal to buy back the firstborn, you could buy it back. N- not the firstborn of a sacrifice, but the firstborn of the unclean. You could redeem that unclean back, just like what Jesus Christ did for us. He redeemed us by his blood that could be redeemed back or you could just give it and the tabernacle or the temple later could sell that and they would sell that off it was the lord's and then that money would be brought into the storehouse so that's the way those things were worked now nevertheless no devoted offering that a man may devote to the lord of all that he has both man and beast or the field of possession shall be sold or redeemed every devoted thing offering is most holy to the lord every devoted thing that's everything that's already his you couldn't redeem it you couldn't buy it back you couldn't it was his it belonged to the lord those things those devoted things to the lord now think about the book of joshua joshua leading the children of israel in battle they go to jericho and god told the children of israel when they were at jericho All the spoils of this battle belong to who? Me. They're all the Lord's. The King James Version calls it a curse. A better translation of that is not that these things are cursed, but that these things are devoted to God. God said, they're mine. But there was one man who said, no, I don't want to give it to the Lord. I'm going to keep it for myself. That was sin in the camp. And the loss at the battle of Ai. Because he kept the devoted thing that belonged to the Lord. Those things that belonged to the Lord, they were to give to the Lord. Holy and completely. No devoted thing could be saved. Can you think about other people who kept devoted things to the Lord? You remember King Saul? King Saul was told of the Lord to destroy, utterly wipe out all the Amalekites. Every everything God was saying, everything is mine. Don't keep any of it. What did Saul do? He kept it, and he tried to say, "But I'm going to give it as a as an offering to the Lord." And Samuel said, "It's already God's. You can't give the devoted thing. It's already His. It spoke of the sin that was in his heart." And at that moment, he ceased to be king, in, in essence, in God's eyes. The Holy Spirit wasn't upon him anymore, for another was anointed to be king. His name was David. He was a, 
man after God's own heart. Perfect man? No. But whose heart was solely after the Lord. And when King David was going to build the temple, he came to the land, the plot of Ornan. And, and he, he says to Ornan, Ornan, I, I want this plot. I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to build a temple here in this place. And Ornan says, man, you're the king. And you're going to do this to build a house to God? I can't sell it to you. You just have it. You remember what David said? No. I will not give God Something that costs me nothing. A sacrifice by definition cost something. Our vows made to the Lord. There's a price. There's a cost involved. There's a value to those things which are given unto the Lord. No person under the ban who may be doomed to destruction among men, shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Okay, that directly relates to what we were talking about with King Saul, right? And or someone who committed murder, or someone who was under the judgment, whose life was forfeit, could not be redeemed. They couldn't. For other crimes, could you be? Sure. There was other crimes that there was a redemption value that you could pay a purchase price and redeem the person. But in these cases, under, the, under, the, under being doomed or under destruction, under the penalty of death, there could be no redemption. Nobody could be bought from that. And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. So he's describing these three things. The tithe that belongs to the Lord. The things that are under the, the ban or that, that, already, that God has already placed uh, his hand upon. The required ties, the firstborn, and the required ties, firstborn. What am I forgetting? Oh, it's a good thing I'm not giving you guys a test. And anything that God put under the ban. So anything under the ban, required ties, firstborn. Those couldn't be devoted to God because God said that's already mine. Can't give him something that's already his. That stuff's already mine. Remember David said, I won't give the Lord something that costs me nothing. So the required tithe, they gave a tithe of the seed. A tenth of whatever grain they brought in, it went to the tabernacle. Malachi chapter 3, bring your tithes into the storehouse so that when... There's a need, there's enough in the storehouse to meet the need. Um, I think it's Empty Tomb Ministries that uh, one time figured out that if every person in the church across the United States tithe, the tithes were brought into the storehouse, what would that mean? It would mean that there would be no debt in a single church and all the hungry would be fed in the world. If that simple concept was taught now again do we give because of obligation out of necessity no what the lord say as a man purposes in his heart that's how we give so it's how the lord purposes in your heart how he purposes in my heart but the the point is if we follow god's system needs are met right the needs were met the needs would be fulfilled and so it was for them too the book of malachi lays that out as well and uh, he goes on, if a man wants to 
at all to redeem any of his tithes, he will add one-fifth to it. So if you're given a tithe, so you gave 10%, it would be valued, raised 20%, and you could buy it back. I don't know why you would want to do that. But if you wanted to give 10%, then raise it 20%, and buy it back, you could do that. The point that the Lord is laying out is to put, understand the value of what you give. It's worth more than just what it is. To God, it had a greater value. And then, concerning the tithe of the herd of their flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one will be holy to the Lord. And he will not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. So when he was given tithe of his herd, whatever the tenth one was that came under the rod belonged to the Lord, even if it was the three-legged blind one. The point that God was, was laying out is, I'm not trying to make your herds weak, but where your treasure is, what happens? That's where your heart will be too. And so the Lord, and there was value on those things that were given so that God would have, that the, the tabernacle would have the things uh, that were needed. He will not inquire whether good or bad, nor will he exchange it. And if he does, then both it and the one exchange will be holy, and it cannot be redeemed. So if you wanted to change, let's say the one that came through was not your best, and you wanted to give a better. You couldn't exchange it, but you could give, and both would belong to the Lord. God wanted them to know, hey, that tenth one, wherever the tenth one was, I don't care, whatever the tenth one was, that belongs to me. He's mine. No matter what he is or what he's like, and he has value to me. He has value to the Lord. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So as we look at the book of Leviticus, he lays out for us this picture of God's holiness, the the righteous requirements of God to have a relationship with him. And all these things lay up and they bring us to chapter 27, which says, now in response to what God has done for you, if you want to do something for the Lord, realize that it matters to God, that it has value. There's no such thing as a little sacrifice. But that God cares about every part of it. And He desires those who worship Him in spirit and what else? In truth. So if I stand before the Lord and I sing, I surrender all, what does it mean if I... Don't. It's not much, huh? God desires those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. To come to the Lord and, and offer Him out of the, the pure love that God pours in my life to Him. That's different. It's not just words. It's not just a song on my lips, but it's something that's deep inside of me. Something that's coming from the core of my being. And to understand, that's what it is. When that plate passes by and I I put my offering in it, God wants me to realize the value He places on that. That's valuable to me. That matters to me, Jackie. It makes a difference. 
And God wants us to realize too. When you give something to me, give me something that's not already mine. Like the widow. It wasn't a lot. But it was out of her need and it was from a pure heart. That's what God desires from us. In response to His holiness, His goodness, His mercy, that is our reasonable act of worship. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You. We thank You. As You lay out Your holiness, Your righteous requirement, one of the things that leaps out at me is I, I can't meet your requirement. I fall short. I need a Savior. Well, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I can stand before you, God, just man made perfect by the sacrifice he gave. Wow, when I realize, when I realize the vast chasm between who you are and what I am and, and the, the distance that's been meted out to me by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, my response can only be worship. And that worship, those vows... You want them to flow out of a pureness of heart, understanding the value. Understanding. Jesus, you told that father, oh, 2,000 years ago, came to you with his son, and he he brought his, his child to you for healing, and you looked at the child and said, if you believe, he can be made well. And the, the father responded just like we all would. Oh, Lord, I believe. But... Help my unbelief. Just as you bridge the chasm between my holiness and yours. Lord God, bridge the chasm between my worship, what it is, and what you want it to be. Teach me. Lead me. Revive me. Give me eyes to see your majesty and holiness, Lord God. Give me a desire in my heart that says, I want this to be right. What you want. What I give, how I serve, what I offer. I don't want to do it out of necessity because somebody says I have to or or somebody says I need to, but, but I want to give because... I, It's a response to what you've done for me. When I sing a song, I don't want to just sing a song, Lord. I want to to look into your eyes and sing this song to you. Because that's who it's about. You are who the praise is for and who it is to. Give me eyes to see it. And though I on this earth will always fall short, you, God, put value 
on whatever I give. You put value on to whatever measure I might reach. And your value is always more than what I thought it was worth. And Lord, when I think about that, it just makes me want to give more. So Lord God, we love you in this place. We desire to see you move in such a mighty way, God, but as we've been talking about, Lord, in order for you to go into our communities, first you have to win the ground in our heart, in my life. So, Lord, help me surrender it all for me to live is Christ. Make that our heart's cry. And change the world around us as you change us. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close in in worship. And as Fritz and Joni and the guys are on their way up uh, to do that, just want to let you know if there's anybody here this evening uh, that that uh, would like to pray or has something they'd like to pray about, I'll be available here in the sanctuary. And right outside in the foyer, we got sanctified root beer floats. <laughs> and just in case you're on a diet, I think we have diet root beer and ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that makes sense. But anyhow, we want to invite you to hang out and fellowship with us. God bless you guys. And go in peace.
such a short distance between our heart and our head, Lord. Lord, uh, teach us to praise you, Lord God. Lord, uh, give us a heart hunger, hungry for you, Lord God, that we would seek you in all our ways. Lord, uh, that our praises, Lord, would be a holy praise to you and you alone, Lord God. Go with us as we fellowship, Lord. Bless the time we have together in Jesus' name.